You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. It's been a long time since we've been in the book of Genesis. I'm excited for this. Um, And as you're turning there, uh, I just want to ask you this. um, What in your life causes you to fear? What in your life causes you to have fear? Uh, When I was a a kid, and and most of my life I've had it at times, I've been at times a a pretty fearful person. And and so it started when I was a a really young child. Uh, Andre, can you turn this mic down a little bit? Um, it started when I was a really young child and, uh, I was afraid of like the grass and sand. And, and so if you, if my parents tried to sit me down, I might hike up my legs and, and, and you just couldn't sit me down. Uh, those, those fears diminished and that progressed onto, uh, much more, um, realistic fears like, uh, butterflies and moths. Uh, yes, totally. I, 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 I kid you not. There was this time we had this fenced in backyard when I was 10 years old and, and, um, we, uh, uh, my job was to mow the lawn and I kid you not, there was this mutant killer moth that buzzed and it literally chased me around the yard. So I let go of the lawnmower and I ran and this thing followed me every single place that I went. And from that point on, I was terrified of moths and butterflies. I remember one of my biggest fears as a kid was robbers. Uh, you remember those ADT commercials? And, um, and they would, you know, have this family nicely sitting in their living room watching television. And all of a sudden you'd hear the window crash and the ADT alarm would go off and the runner would go running. And it was to convince you that, of course, you too needed ADT because this could totally happen to you. And I bought it hook, line and sinker. And we did not have ADT. And therefore, I was afraid. And so I just kind of wonder what, what causes you fear? Because my guess is uh, that your fears, kind of like mine, have matured. And they've grown beyond things like butterflies and robbers. And that's really the tricky thing about fear. Um, There's some pretty big things that we can be afraid of. Once we get older in life, we realize that there are some actual legitimate fears that we can have. And so maybe you fear the loss of a certain possession or like it's a home. You fear losing your home or, 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 or something else that's really important to you. Uh, maybe you fear losing a person. Uh, maybe the, the greatest fear that you could imagine is to lose your spouse or a child or a dear friend. Uh, maybe you fear losing approval of a boss or a friend or, or maybe you even fear uh, losing approval of God. What if he gives up on me? What if, what if I'm just not good enough? And Fear comes when I sense the potential loss of what is most valuable to me. That's what causes fear. When I sense the potential loss of the thing that is most valuable to me. And so, typically, we'll do anything that we can to make sure that we keep those things that are valuable to us. We'll do anything that we can to calm our fears. 
And maybe some of you are, are feeling uh, pretty courageous today. You're like, um, yeah, I don't know if this sermon's for me. Uh, I don't fear anything, Pastor Ben. I, I'm just, I'm just good. You, I'm just like, like courage is my middle name. But listen, listen, we all fear something. And you might not put the label of fear on it. You, you might have called it anxiety. You, if you've ever had something that nags on your mind, if you've ever had uh, that thing that you would just rather avoid than deal with it, if you've ever been tempted to run around God's ways in order to uh, make something go the way that you think it should, then you know what it is to fear. You fear that thing more than you fear God in that circumstance. And so what causes you to fear? Now let's take that into a, a second question here. Uh, when faced with fear, what do you do? Do you ultimately trust God or do you take matters into your own hands? And be honest with yourself, because I think we all know the right answer to that. Like, we know we're supposed to trust God, and we all like to think, yeah, I trust God. I, I, of course I trust God. He's God, right? Like, but be honest with yourself. When you're faced with that fear, do you trust God, or do you take matters into your own hands? God wants us to encounter Him in the midst of our fears. Uh, that's the title of today's message, Encountering God in My Fear. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, he says, uh, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God wants us to understand that He is with His children in the midst of our fears. We sang it earlier today. Uh, in your presence, all my fears are washed away. He wants us to encounter Him and to learn to trust Him in that place. And so we're in a series right now called Encounters with God. And we're learning what it looks like to encounter the living God together. We're, we're learning that this is a personal God that we serve. And, and He meets with His people in very powerful ways. And we ought not think of Him as distant and as, as as separate from us, He is holy for sure, but then He provides the way for us to enter into His presence and be restored to relationship to Him. And so we, today we want to see uh, this effect of encountering God. When I truly encounter God, He conquers my fear with His presence. When I truly encounter God, He conquers my fear with his presence. Uh, today we're going to be studying Genesis chapters 32 and 33. Uh, that might sound like a lot to you. Uh, it is kind of a lot of verses, um, but it, it's, it's a story. And, and it's, we're going to be able to kind of just glide across uh, this story and see it as one whole unit. Uh, in fact, I, I tried to do a lot less verses. I tried to just uh, go with this passage right in the middle of it where Jacob is wrestling with God. And I'm like, no, we can't do that this week. Uh, we're going we're gonna to miss the point. That God wants for us. And, and uh, so we're going to see a, a guy named Jacob in, in a situation where he is afraid. And most of his life, Jacob has been one uh, when he's faced with the types of situations where he's afraid of losing that thing that's going to keep his, having security and blessing and all those things. He takes matters into his own hands. He, he's that type of guy. 
It, it actually started when he was in the womb. And uh, he, he was a twin. And um, I know that we have a few twins in the room. And, and uh, so there was, there was uh, his mother, Rebecca, and, um, and she's like, what in the world is going on inside of my womb right now? Like, like, what is happening? These kids are, like, fighting already. And God revealed it. Like, yeah, that's that's the, the foreshadowing of things to come for you, I'm sorry to say. And, uh, and so the fighting just started from there. And then, it, it, like, as they were born, uh, Jacob's brother Esau was born first. And uh, Jacob's like, nope, I'm not having any of that. And so he's grabbing hold of, of Esau's heel as they're coming out. In fact, that's where he gets his name, Jacob. It, it means heel grabber. That's a good thing to name your kid. Heel grabber or, or deceiver, right? Like the idea that, that he's just a trickster. And so, so that name isn't just a name for Jacob. It becomes an identifying characteristic of his life. And, and as he uh, gets older, um, he gets to this point where uh, his brother is out hunting and he comes back famished. Obviously, he didn't do a very good job hunting. And, um, and he comes back famished. And he's like, I, I just got to eat. I'm going to die if I don't eat. And his brother's there cooking stew because he's not like the, the real gruff type. Uh, he's kind of the, he's the, he's the cook. He's not the hunter. And, and so, um, so he's, he's cooking stew and he's like, give me, give me stew. And, and Jacob's like, well, I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. And he's like, well, what good is the birthright if I die? So I want the stew. He tricked him. He, he took advantage of his hunger the birthright was an incredibly important thing. It, it, meant, it meant double the inheritance. It meant authority over all the rest of your family. It was an incredibly important thing. And then uh, Jacob pulls another trick on his father. His father's blind, and so he wants to go get the, the blessing from his father that really should belong to his older brother Esau. And so he tricks him there again, and he, he, he puts on these, these hairs on his arms and, and makes him think, makes himself smell bad and all that kind of stuff. And, and it makes him think that... that it makes his father think that his brother Esau is, uh, is getting the blessing when it's really him. And uh, so Esau's like, you burn me once, shame on me. You burn me twice, shame on you. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty ticked now. And so uh, Rebecca, who, who favored her, her, um, her, her son Jacob, she's like, get out of here. Get out of town. Go to Haran. Uh, go, to this, go, to, go to my brother who uh, has some daughters there who you can marry. That's weird. Um, and and uh, different time period, right? We don't, we don't judge by our own time period, but it's a different time period. And, and so uh, go there. And, and so he goes and he, he meets his match in trickery. He meets, he meets a deceiver that's greater than him named Laban. This is his uncle. And uh, so he, Laban's like, well, if you want to marry my daughter, you've got to work for me seven years. And so he works seven years. And, uh, and, and Laban's like, you know what? I've got this older daughter who I really ought to marry off first, and she's not as pretty. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trick Jacob and, and, and make him marry my, my older daughter, Leah. And, and so Jacob wakes up one morning. And it's not the wife that he thought he had married. Apparently it was really dark. And, um, and, and so, uh, he wakes up and, and, and he's like, what did you do to me? And he's like, well, if you want to marry my other daughter, you can work for me another seven years. And so he does. And, and, and it says that these years were but a short time for Jacob. He must've had some real eyes for Rachel. Right. And, uh, and so 14 years to get two wives. And then he works another six years to, to get, um, 
a whole bunch of other stuff from Laban, uh, like goats and land, uh, servants, all, all kinds of stuff. He gains all sorts of wealth uh, from his uncle Laban. And now it's 20 years later since he's left. And he realizes that Laban is starting to sort of get a little disappointed with him. He's starting to look upon him a little disfavorably. And, uh, and so he's like, it's time to leave town. So he leaves in the middle of the night. And he, he plays another trick on Laban. And, and, uh, and Laban uh, figures this out three days later. He comes and he, he goes to catch up with him. And, he, and he's like, what, what are you doing? You're taking my daughters away. You're taking all this stuff away. And they, they, they actually settle accounts. And, and, and they, they work it out together. And Laban blesses him. And Jacob now is ready. He's free. He's released to go back into the land that God had promised to him. And that's where we pick it up in chapter uh, 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, "Uh, this is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Machanaim. I I think these first two verses are so interesting because it's just like, and Jacob saw some angels, and then he, he's like, this is God's place, and then he just names the place, and then it just kind of moves on in the next verses. But we have to remember that, that, that the author of Genesis, Moses, is calling us back to a time earlier in Jacob's life when he had encountered angels before. It was actually the time right as he's leaving uh, the land and going into Haran, and, and he sees this vision of this ladder and angels going up and down and the Lord is sitting at the top of the ladder. And listen, as we think about encounters with God, Jacob's already had a few. He's already had a few pretty powerful encounters with God. And here's the thing about encounters with God. We would love for them to be like this once and done event where like everything's different, everything's changed. You know, like all of a sudden I've had this encounter with God and now I'm just a completely new person. I'm perfect. I see him perfectly. But that's just not the way that it works in human lives, is it? That, that, that we have an encounter with God and he does work on us and he does change us, but then we have to have another one and another one and another one and another one. And so here again, Jacob is having an encounter uh, with, with these angels reminding him of the, the promises of God. And that's going to be so important. Um, pick it up in verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus shall you say to my lord Esau, uh, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. So, uh, up here is the map. Uh, of where where Jacob is traveling from, you can put that up next. And um, he's he's traveling from the north there in Haran. He's down now. Uh, the, you see Machanaim there, and he's uh, headed over towards Shechem. And uh, this this red line is is where Esau is coming from. So this is no small journey. When he sends these servants, it's not like uh, Esau is just on the other side of the hill. Esau is actually down south of the. Of, of the Dead Sea there in the, in the land of Edom. This is the land that God had, had, had given to him. And so uh, this is the land that he had settled. And so this is kind of a long trip. And, and these servants then come back up and they say um, in verse 6, 
Messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Now remember, the last time that Jacob saw Esau, Esau was pretty ticked at him. He had, he had stolen his birthright. He had stolen his blessing. And, and so he's, he's like, 400 men, that does not sound like a good thing. This sounds like an army that's coming to meet me. And so, uh, verse 7, it says, uh, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. There it is. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. If we want to know what Jacob is dealing with as this encounter with God is about to happen, he's dealing with this sense of fear and distress over his past choices and circumstances, over his relationships, over the people that, had, that he had harmed and, and were ready to harm him. He's greatly afraid and distressed. And so what's he going to do? Is he going to trust God? Or is he going to take matters into his own hands? I want us to see three things that we need this morning in order to encounter God in the midst of our fear. And the first one is this. We need to uh, meditate on God's promises through prayer. We need to meditate on God's promises in prayer. This is what we're going to see Jacob do. He's learning. God is working on his heart even now. He's churning up the old ways of doing things and he's replacing them with some new ways of doing things verse 7 then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided those who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it then the camp that is left will escape so there is some sort of taking matters into his own hands right like he's, he's still dealing with that a little bit right but, but I don't think that we give him enough credit for uh, verse 9. Look at verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. That's a pretty great prayer. That, that, that's a, like, uh, the prayers of Scripture, that, that's a pretty solid prayer. He, he humbles himself before the Lord. He, he cries out based upon the promises that God has already given him. So now back to that vision with the ladder and the angels going up and down and the Lord uh, sitting at the top. Uh, he, he's recounting this promise that the Lord had given to him in this vision. Uh, verse tw- chapter 28, verse 13 says, uh, And behold... 
the Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord, your God, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. That's exactly what Jacob calls him. He takes God at his word. I am this God. And then he says to Jacob, he says, the land on which you lie, I will give you and give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. By the way, that's a, a reference to Jesus. That, that through the offspring of Jacob, the Savior, the Messiah was going to come. It says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. That's what God is doing right now in, in chapter 32. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so in this prayer in chapter 32, Jacob is remembering all of these promises, all of this encounter with God that he had had in the past. He's meditating on the promises that God had already given him, the plan that God had already revealed to him. And so this is not some arrogant prayer like, give me the promises that, you de- that I deserve from you, God. You better give me what's coming to me. This is, this is instead... I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. This is the type of prayer that we need in the midst of our fears. That's interesting. Even as Jacob prays then, he also acts. Look at verse 13. He's already divided his camp up into two. And in verse 13, he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. This is a lot of stuff, right? And these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you to do, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. Notice he keeps putting himself in the position of servant. He keeps getting low. They're present, sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. And then he likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. Afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. And so the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. So Jacob doesn't just pray. He acts. And based upon the prayer, if I put the prayer right at the center of this narrative and I see that as kind of the climax moment, I'm not entirely convinced that Jacob's action is faithless. It could be. He he could still be wrestling here 
uh, back and forth. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to take matters into my own hands? But I'm not entirely sure that that's what's going on here. I, I think like, a, a lot of times God calls us to pray and then act based on what we know. Activity is not always the antithesis to prayer. It's not always against praying. I'm sort of leaning towards he's being righteously cautious in this moment. It's not always wrong to mix prayer and activity, but the important thing is that faith-failed prayer wins out in our fearful hearts. That's the important thing. We're going to see in chapter 33 that the activity really proved to be unnecessary. God had already taken care of it in ways that Jacob didn't need to. But prayer needs to shape our activity of making plans. Our plans must not shape our prayer. Prayer needs to shape the activity of making plans. Our plans must not shape our prayer. And so, let me ask you this. When you're faced with fear, do you rush to activity? Or do you rush to prayer? Do you rush to activity or do you rush to prayer? Uh, This week, I was faced with that choice. Um, I was sort of afraid that we weren't going to have a sermon today. <laughs> like it was just one of those weeks where, like, I was I was in Indianapolis, and then and then I on Friday, Katie and I went down to Baltimore to spend the day for our anniversary, and there, there was just limited time. And and beyond that, I was dealing with all of these preconceptions of of what the text was that the Lord I really felt was tearing down. He's like, no, that's not what this is about. And you need to, you need to study harder and you need to study longer. And I'm like, but God, I don't have time. Like, and and so I was faced with this choice. Do I just put my head down and plow it out and write some sermon that I'm not quite convinced is, is right? Or do I pray and seek the Lord and seek what word he has for us. And that's where it, it, it moved from being just from verses 22 to 32 to being like all of chapter 32 and 33. And, and I, that might sound like a really small fear to you. But if you had to get up here every week and, and, and deliver a sermon to all of you, you'd probably be afraid of that too. And uh, the Lord called me to prayer instead of activity. And he works on us in that way, doesn't he? And so do you rush to activity or do you rush to prayer? Possibly even more important, uh, which wins out in your hearts? The plans you make or the prayers you pray? Which one do you rest on? Think about that fear that I asked you to get in your head at the beginning of this sermon. Uh, When that fear comes, do you frantically work to, to make everything just go right? Or do you rest your soul in prayer, recounting the promises of God? We need to learn to meditate on God's promises in prayer. We need to understand God's promises and priorities for believers. We need to, we need to understand how He's working out His plans for His glory and for the good of His people. And then we need to recount them again and again and again in prayer. So if you're wondering, like, where, where do I start? How do I do this? I, I would encourage you, go back to, like, First Peter that we just spent most of the beginning of this year studying. And, and, and so you, you have a good foundation there. And there's a ton of promises where we can see the plans of God and, and how they work in the lives of his believers when they're suffering, when they're facing things that are fearful. And, and, and 
recount those promises. Go read through the book of Romans and see how much God is promising to his people as they believe in him and as they are justified by faith. Now, what I'm not saying here is like, go get a Bible promise book and, uh, and you know, rip all these verses out of context and, and just pray through the promises and name it and claim it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about understand what the word of God actually says, the plans that God actually has for his people, and then pray those things back to him and rest your soul in that. Recount who you are as God's child if you've embraced him by faith. I have a list of, of things in my computer that God says are true of those who have been united to him in faith through Christ. And, and if you're wanting a, a place to start, um, I'd be happy to share you that list with you. And so just as a point of application, I'm going to have you email me to send you that list because I want you to take responsibility for it. If, if you want that list, email me this week and I'll be happy to send it to you. Not a bother at all. Get familiar with God's promises for his children and then pray those things back to God. Make prayer your priority. And, and, and this isn't just asking for things. This isn't just like, okay, God, I'm afraid. Fix it. This, this, is, this is recount who God is and what God has done. So in our gospel communities, we've been talking about uh, spirit-led, scripture-fed, worship-based prayer. And we've been doing that at the beginning of our gospel community gatherings. And I've heard from many of you that this is a rich time for you. And I would encourage you to allow that to come into your everyday experience of prayer with God. That you would open up God's word, that you would hear from him, and then you would respond to him then in prayer. And allow it to, to be worship-based. Allow it to have a, a big picture of God in your heart and your mind. Because that's what's going to calm your fears. To know that this God is with you. And he's working out his plan. And so don't just act. Act prayerfully. Realize that in all your action, God is going to be the primary worker. Like I said, we're going to see that Jacob's actions are going to prove to be unnecessary. But his prayer was essential. And I believe Jacob's prayer is what gives way to the most famous encounter with God in Jacob's life that we're going to read about next. Uh, because prayer leads us to make room to embrace God. Make room to embrace God. So look at verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Jabbok uh, sounds like the word for wrestle, and so this is an appropriate place. He took them and sent them across the stream. It's about 12 feet wide at that point. Interesting little fact. And everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And Jacob was left alone. This is probably the most vulnerable that Jacob has been in 20 years. He had come into the land with nothing but his walking stick. And now he's coming back into the land. He had left the land with nothing but his walking stick. And now he's coming back into the land with nothing. And I think sometimes the reason that we don't feel like we have very many encounters with God is because we don't make room to embrace God. 
See, Jacob had acquired these two wives that it says he sent away over the course of 14 years. He had worked for them himself. And then there's these two servants, these two female servants, which is a reference to uh, two women that, that uh, his, his wives had taken matters into their own hands when they felt like they couldn't have kids. They gave him their servants. And, and they said, here, have, have a baby with my servant. It's another just evil way of taking matters into their own hands. And then the 11 children that he had prized so much. All of it now being sent away. Sent away so that there's nothing else to fall back on. And the reason that we often don't feel like we have very many encounters with God is because we don't make room to embrace God. We crowd out our lives with all sorts of stuff and we, we, we use those things to calm our fears. We, we calm our fears with friends and family. Friends. We, we calm our fears with activities and, and, and possessions. We calm our fears with the noise of entertainment or our smartphones. And it all becomes noise then that, that we use to drown out our fears. And, and, and what it really does is it drowns out our ability to truly embrace God. All, all of these things become distractions to us that, that keep us from truly embracing God. God, because we feel more comfortable in them in our fears. And so Jacob is left alone. And that's exactly what he needed. That's exactly what he needed. Look at verse 24 again. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. I think this is such an interesting way that God chose to encounter Jacob. It's like, I just picture Jacob sitting around a campfire and all of a sudden God's just like, and just starts wrestling with him. It's so, so random. But this is the way that God wanted Jacob to encounter him. And so they go all night. We don't know exactly how long because we don't know when it started, but they go till the breaking of dawn. And it's like, who is this random attacker? And they go through quite a few rounds and, and in a moment, then at a, at a chosen time, he's going to act in power. Look at verse 25. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Uh, so my boys uh, love to wrestle with me, right, Levi? Yeah, yeah, we like to wrestle, right? And uh, as I'm wrestling with them, I'm constantly practicing strength under control. This is what I teach them gentleness is. It's strength under control. And so they're, they're trying to dive on top of me and get me down. And, and, and I'm controlling my strength. And, and, and so that's just like a way that we express our relationship to one another. Um, every once in a while, though, they'll, they'll be like, I'm going to tackle you to the ground and win, right? Or if I'm laying on the ground, they'll, they'll be like, I'm on top of you. I won. You're down. You're pinned. And if they say something like that, in a moment, I am going to then put them in their place and make sure that they know that I'm going to win over them. I want them to know who is stronger. And I believe that that's what God is doing with Jacob, right? I I believe that he is, is practicing all of this strength under control and then when Jacob won't give in when he won't give up in a moment he touches him and his hip is placed displaced from his socket like can you imagine like like I can't do that (laughs) 
No, 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 no one of us with a simple touch could do this. He's starting to get a sense of who this man is. I believe that Jacob is. And so he says in verse 26, let me go for the day has broken. Uh, the, the man says that. And, and Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob is, is debilitated at this point. His, his hip is completely out of socket. He, he can't wrestle anymore. And so I just kind of imagine him at this point embracing this man, just kind of clinging, hanging on to him. Like, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not giving up unless you bless me. I, I believe that he's learning who this man is. And, and so the man says to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, my name is Heel Grabber. My name is Deceiver. So the man says to him, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. This is where the nation of Israel gets their name. This is the moment. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob is learning what it means to hold on to God from a position of weakness. And he only wants one thing. He wants the blessing of this powerful being. And I've heard people say in the past, like, I'm just like Jacob. I I have to wrestle with God. That's just my personality. I'm not going to let go until God blesses me. That's not the point of this passage. Jacob's encounter with God is not an excuse to be self-willed and stubborn-minded. Jacob's encounter with God is to show that God is willing to break his people in order to bring them ultimate blessing, in order to change who they are and to bring them to himself. We're going to come back to this phrase, you have, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. In a moment, but then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And the man said, why is it that you ask my name? It's like, you know who I am. Come on. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called for the name of the place, called the name of the place Peniel. Saying, for I have seen the face, seeing God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. He identifies the man as God. He has seen him face to face and he knows, like we saw in that vision of Ezekiel last week, he knows that that should mean death. That that should not mean that he is delivered. But he is. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel. Peniel and and Penuel both mean um, the face of God. As the sun rises upon him, as, as the encounter closes he leaves limping because of his hip it was a forever reminder in Jacob's life that that he had encountered God and he was completely different and then for the nation of Israel they had a reminder as well verse 32 therefore to this, this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip of the socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh 
So let's go back up to verse 28. It says, Your name shall be called Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. I find that so interesting because it doesn't look to me like Jacob prevailed. It looks to me like he lost the wrestling match. We find our ultimate blessing when God wins. We need God to break us so that He can bless us. And the sooner that we lose our fight with God, but we still hold on and we still embrace Him, the sooner that you can see His purposes play out in your life. Jacob needed this encounter with God because he needed to learn how to embrace God in the midst of his fears. He he didn't need to learn how to fight with God or endure ten rounds with God. He He didn't end up getting one over on God. He needed to understand that God always wins and we win when God wins over us. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So as we uh, make room for God in our lives, we need to embrace His breaking. We need to embrace His breaking. When God allows something fearful into our lives, it's often because He's removing all of those things that would get in the way. Uh, uh, He's removing all of those things that would give us a false sense of hope or security. He's getting them out of the way. He's saying, I want you to rely on Me. And I wonder if God is, is breaking or removing anything in your life right now so that you would encounter Him. Maybe a job, a relationship, a physical provision, something going on in your health. Maybe he's removing a sense of independence. If you've experienced any kind of loss, I can guarantee you this. uh, God wants to come in and fill that space. We need to embrace his breaking. And then we need to embrace His blessing. And sometimes this is the harder part for us. We we understand that God breaks us, but do we really believe that God blesses His children? It was the presence of God that changed Jacob from deceiver to God fights. The blessing of God was an encounter with God Himself. God wants to bless His children. He wants to draw near in their lives and encounter them in their fears and in their insecurities and in their anxieties. And He wants to offer us Himself. That's what He did in the Gospel. He sent Himself into the world. Into the midst of all of our fear, all of our anxiety, all of our sin, all of our shame. He entered right into the middle of that. And then He took it upon Himself. And He was broken for us. And His blood was shed for us. And He died in our place for our sin. And then He rose again and He conquered Satan, sin, and death. He conquered guilt and shame and even fear. And He took away the thing that is most fearful to any of us, which is death. And if death has no grip on us, then nothing else does.
God wants to draw near in the lives of his children and encounter them in the fears and insecurities that they have. He wants us to he wants to offer us himself. So that doesn't always look like we want it to. Uh, For Jacob, it meant being broken of his self-sufficiency. For for us, it it doesn't always mean the easy life we want. It doesn't mean being blessed with health and wealth and prosperity. Uh, God is not in the business of just fulfilling your own little personal destiny and building up your own little kingdom. God's goal is to fulfill His plan and to promote His kingdom. And we are blessed when we encounter Him in that plan. For Jacob, he was literally the father of God's nation of Israel. Like, that's a pretty big deal. And God's people would receive their name from this encounter. This was about something so much bigger than Jacob's personal security. And so we need to understand that the blessing of God is God Himself. Even more than dealing with the thing that is making us afraid in this moment, God wants to show us that He is bigger and better than our fears and insecurities. No matter what we're afraid of, if we have God with us, if we've seen His face, then we win. We win when God wins over us. So the sun rose. Jacob's seen God face to face. He's, He's got the limp to prove it. It's a constant reminder of his inability, but God's ability. And now he's ready to face his fears. And so here's the third way that we encounter God in our fears. Chapter 33. We need to march forward in confidence. March forward with confidence. Verse 1. Uh, Jacob lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, he saw Esau was coming and 400 men with him. And so he had divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front and Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He's humbling himself before his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. That was not what anybody expected, right? Like God had already worked on Esau's heart in ways that Jacob couldn't have imagined. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? It's like last I saw you, you were a bachelor. Now you got all these kids, all these wives. What's going on here, man? And then the servants drew near and they drew they and their children and they bowed down and Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you, what do you mean by all this company that I met? What's with all those gifts that you were sending me? And Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I got enough. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, no, please. If I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And thus he urged him, and he took it. So Esau takes the present. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. 
But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they're driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So he's like, I don't need you to go with me. Just like, we're, we're all right. And so Esau says, let me leave with you then some of my people who are with me. But he said, what, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So I just don't want to be in debt to you at all, Esau. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. And therefore he called the name of the place Succoth, which means booths. Creative. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padamaran. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. The God, the God of Israel. God had made good on his promise. He had brought him back into the land. He had given him what he had promised I just wonder if you've ever had a moment like that where you are afraid of something and, and, and you get into it and it's like God has already miraculously taken care of it better than you could take care of it yourself. You've got to lean into moments like that. You've got to remember those things and then allow them to build faith for the future. See, once we've meditated on God's promises in prayer and once we've made room to embrace God, we need to march forward with confidence. Fear can be crippling in our lives. And there have been times in my life when I've been absolutely debilitated by fear. And the only way that I can keep going in that moment is by having an encounter with God. The only way that I can keep going in that moment is by meditating on God's promises and by making room to embrace Him. And then just by marching forward in confidence, taking the next step that God would call you to, taking the next step, taking the next step. He's promised to give us light for our path. When you do that, you get to watch what only He can do. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that that in the midst of our fears, uh, you have uh, promised that you would be with us, that you would be guiding us and leading us. I just pray that you would um, that you would calm our fears with your presence. Uh, Lord, I pray for anybody who is afraid this morning. I, I pray that you would be giving them strength here. That you would be showing them how real you are. And that you would help them to just take the next step today. The next step of trusting. The next step of 
growing, the next step of seeing you work. Why don't you just take a moment and and recount to yourself how big God is. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.